Hi everyone, my name is Kevi and I'm from Malaysia. I'm studying computer science and this is my last year. So now I'm going to read Mark 1, 1 to 8, then I'll read John 14, 1 to 11. So Mark 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight path for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So now John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If there were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And, I, and if I go there prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, don't you know me, Philip, if even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe one on the evidence of the works themselves. Well, the title of today's talk is Jesus, Islam and the Gospel. And I want us to be clear about these things. Now, our world can be a fairly confusing place 
when it comes to religion and particularly when it comes to Islam and Christianity. And it can be hard to get a clear answer. We have politicians and celebrities saying various things about what a true Muslim is or what true religion is. We have TV dramas which will role play people of different religions acting in certain ways to, to answer some of the questions that we have in our community. There, there are of course lots of Facebook memes about religion in different ways. The ABC will have programs like Q&A or Compass where they interview people and you know, these people represent different religions and they say different things. Very often in the newspapers, you'll have verses from the Bible or the Quran quoted. You know, the Quran says this, the Bible says that. And then, of course, you see the actions of the followers of Christianity and Islam on the TV and in the news. You see them reported at different times. This can be confusing for people who want to know. And as I've spoken to people, people often say to me, I'm just not really sure what to believe about Christianity, Islam and the gospel, Jesus and the gospel. But it's not just confusing. It can also be fearful for some people where they're not sure what, what Islam means. It can be a, a source of fear. Other people I've met, it can be a source of anger. They get angry at what they're seeing. Other people want to make sure that they don't offend anybody. And they go into you know, appeasement. We've got to appease everybody. And still others want to know. Now, the main reason why our culture is confused is because our culture has no longer taught itself the Bible. We used to understand what the Bible was as, as a Western culture, and most people had a fairly good understanding but we don't have that now, and so we don't really understand Christianity or Jesus, and we have an even less of an understanding of the Quran. And so we find ourselves in this situation where we don't really understand our own religious heritage as a culture. We don't understand this new tradition that's coming in amongst us with Islam, and so we have this confusion. Now today, I'm not going to try to be clear about everything. That would be impossible. But I do want us to be clear about one thing, one thing from both religions. And I'm wanting us to be clear about how is a person saved in Christianity and how is a person saved in Islam? That's what I want us to look at, just, just one area. And I believe we can be clear if we narrow ourselves down just to that area. Now, I want to do this. I want to do this so that you can make a decision. So that you can make a decision. So that you, you can know where you stand and you can make your decision about Jesus, Islam, and the gospel. Now, there are four parts to my talk today. The first part is being clear about Jesus, the second part is being clear about Islam. Then we're going to look at Muslims and the words of Jesus. And finally, we'll look at why Christianity is true. So they're the four headings that I'm going to look through. So let's look at the first of these, being clear about Jesus. 
I want us to be clear about Jesus by looking at one particular account of his life, what we call the Gospel of John. Now, in the Gospel of John, there are these famous statements that Jesus makes. They're called the I am statements, the I am statements. And so there's the, uh, this, Jesus says in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. And also, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. The verse that we're particularly looking at today is from chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in many ways, this seems to be a summary statement of, of all the other I am statements. It's certainly the longest of them. And that's what I want us to figure, uh, what this, this is what I want us to consider today. This statement of Jesus, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. Because as we look at that, we can be very clear about Jesus. Now, first of all, if we want to understand this verse, we need to read it in its context. We don't just want to bring our own ideas. We need to read it in its context. And to see its context, let's look at chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus is speaking and he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, Jesus here is talking about heaven. He's talking about paradise. And the, the Bible describes heaven in, in different ways. Sometimes it is spoken as heaven, the place of God. Sometimes, as I've said, it, Jesus calls it paradise. We see that in Luke's gospel. Sometimes, though, it's described as a city. We see that in the book of Revelation, that, uh, the, 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 that heaven is spoken of as a city coming down from God. Sometimes it's described as the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's even described as a bride and her husband coming to her bride. In this case... Jesus speaks about heaven as being his father's house with rooms. And that's how he describes it. His father's house with rooms. Now, I've got a question for you. Do you have a room in God's house? Do you know that you have a room in God's house? See, we mustn't assume that. We mustn't assume that we do. Now, I've been meeting some of you uh, here. I've been meeting many of you here, and it's been a delight to get to know you. And some of you have expressed an interest to come to Tasmania, which is a perfectly a reasonable thing to do. <laughs> and you would be welcome to come to my house. You'd be welcome to come, and you, you could have some afternoon tea. 
But I just want you to imagine if you did come to Tasmania, you did come to my house, and then you just went to a room in my house, unpacked all your gear, and started to live there. <laughs> imagine if you did that. That would be a bit presumptuous, wouldn't it? Just to assume that you have a room in my house. Now, my children do have a room in my house. My children have got a room in my house. Uh, they saw me, in some cases, build that section of the house and paint it and put glitter paint, glitter in the paint for them and do all types of things and make the room for them. And they they know that they have a room because they know the father of the house and they know that their father has prepared a room for them. See, has Jesus prepared a room for you? Because you just can't assume that you have a room in God's house. And the question that Jesus is answering here for us is, how do you get a room in God's house? This is what he's saying. He's talking about, I've come to prepare a room for you and I'm telling you how you get a room in God's house. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, how you get a room in God's house is through Jesus. And Jesus explains how he gives you this room in three different ways. He talks about being the way, he talks about being the truth, and he talks about being the life. And so we're going to look at each of those briefly now. First of all, Jesus speaks of himself as being the way. And when he's referring to himself as being the way, he's speaking about his death on the cross paying for our sins so that we can have that way to God. Now, he spoke about his death on many occasions throughout the gospel. I'll just read from chapter 10, verse 11, where he speaks in another I am statement. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so this is how Jesus is the way for us. Because he makes a way for us. He takes our sins out of the way so that we can come to God. Now, we need to understand how serious sin is and how pandemic sin is. Sin is absolutely everywhere in this world. It's absolutely everywhere. If we think about our own lives and we look at what the Bible says about how we live, we become aware of our own sinfulness, don't we? Sometimes even some of your friends may have rebuked you or you see people rebuking others. Now, that happens because we're sinners. But it's not just that sin is within you individually, it's within our families. We've seen recently that there's abuse within families, that people have no one's been there for a long time. But there's abuse within families, there's betrayal, there's sin within our families. Within our nations, if you think about our nation and our government, there's always these reviews, isn't there? There's always these stories in the media about the corruption within the government and how people are abusing their positions. 
And we've always got to keep making new laws and having inquiries to, to, to try to get it clean, but it keeps creeping back. But it's not just there, it's also in our education system. I've seen story after story about how within our universities, there is corruption within the marking system and within other cultures coming in, trying to change things, to get advantage, to do things. And they're always having to, to, to police the university. And in fact, the way that science works, science just isn't this pure study of science. No, it depends on who gets the grants, who's got the, the interest involved, and there's a whole political manoeuvring that goes around what science is done and how it's presented and what results are given to you. See, sin is all the way through the scientific movement. It's all the way through the entertainment industry. The people who, we've seen this time and time again, haven't we, uh, this year, that the people who were the happy faces, the people who you know, were, were the, the social icons and the celebrities have turned out to be abusers. Right? Sin is in the entertainment industry. It's in, our, uh, it's in our sports. We've seen that there's abuse within sport, corruption within sport, that people are gambling on sport and throwing matches. Sport's not just sport, it's sinful sport. It's affected by sin. And of course, within the church, we've had all types of abuse within the church and uh, problems within the church as well. See, sin is not just an epidemic. You know, an epidemic is just, you know, um, uh, a virus breaks out in a local area. Sin is a pandemic. It's across the whole world, across every single person, at every single point of time. Now, that's not the kingdom of God. And that's, we are not as an, a, a species living and are going to be welcomed into God's kingdom. We are people who are not following the way of God. But there is one place where there is no sin. Right? There's sin in us, in our nation, in science, in education, in the government, in sport, in entertainment, and the church. But there's one place where there is no sin, and that is in Jesus. There is no sin in Jesus. And he, therefore, can lead us in that way to God. When he lays down his life on the cross, he takes away our sin so that we can have that way to God as well. Now, no other prophet has ever said anything like this. What Jesus is doing here is unique. The other prophets confess their sins, but Jesus here is this one without sin. He is the way. Jesus is also the truth. Now, God speaks to us through his prophets. He raises up men and women who have been prophets and they speak the word of God to us. But that's not what Jesus is saying about himself. When Jesus says, I'm the truth, he's not saying, I speak the truth like a prophet. He's actually saying, I am the truth. That's a bit different, isn't it? See, a prophet speaks the truth. Jesus is the truth. Go back to John chapter 14 and look at verses 8 and 9 and we'll see what Jesus means by this. John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long 
and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, you see, Jesus is not just saying, I'm telling you the truth about God, although he, he does do that. He's actually saying, I am the display of God. When you've seen me, you've seen God. That's what he means when he says, he's the truth. Now, again, no prophet has ever said this. Prophets will say, we speak the truth from God. Jesus is not claiming to be a prophet here. He's saying, he is God come amongst us. When you see him, you have seen God. You have seen the truth itself. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He's also the life. Now, there are many different expressions of life in our world, beautiful expressions of life. Um, I've never been to the Great Barrier Reef, but I've seen pictures of it. And, you know, when you see those coral reefs and there's all these different types of fish and all these types of corals and, and enemies and whatever they are all, you know, waving waving around. And, and it's beautiful and colourful and it's, it's, it's entertaining just looking at the life. You can go down actually below Antarctica and even in the freezing conditions there, there's life. I saw this documentary about these frogs out in the desert in the middle of Australia. And you go out there and it's as dry as dry as anything. And yet frogs live out there. And these frogs make a cocoon for themselves. It's a watertight cocoon. And they just bunker down and they can stay there for years. And then the rain comes, the cocoon dissolves, and they come out, breed, make other frogs, run around, do their thing, go back down. Isn't that amazing that frogs, which need all this water, can live in a desert? And then, of course, you've got human life with all of its diversity and culture and ingenuity and, and beauty. There are many different expressions of life. But Jesus is not saying he's just another expression of life. This is not what Jesus is saying about himself. Jesus is not saying, I'm a new, beautiful expression of life. Jesus is actually saying, I am life. I am the life. I'm the one who gives life to the Great Barrier Reef. I'm the one who gives life to the, to the creatures under the ice. I'm the one who gives life to that frog in the desert. I'm the one who gives life to you. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that he is the author of your life. Now, again, no prophet has ever said anything like this. This is a, a unique thing to Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is an exclusive claim. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is the exclusive claim that Jesus is making, that he gives the way to God, he brings the truth of God to you, and he gives the life of God for you. This is how we're saved in Christianity, through Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian and your Christian friend dragged you along to this camp, 
or has dragged you along to church, then, I don't know, maybe your friend has annoyed you on some times because they've said to you, you've got to come to Jesus to have your sins forgiven. And maybe as a Christian, you've said that to someone and you go, oh, you know, maybe I've annoyed them. I hope you have. I want you to realise, if you're not a Christian, I want you to realise that what your Christian friend has said to you about Jesus being the only way is not their opinion. It's not their opinion. That's actually what Jesus says of himself. When your Christian friend says to you, Jesus is the only way to be saved, that's not their opinion. That is what Jesus himself says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus is saying to us is that he can bring us to God. He can save us. He can give us a room in God's house. So we're clear now about Christianity. What about Islam? Let's be clear about Islam here. Islam's very different. In Islam, sin is not a major problem. You can be, uh, you can do good things, and the do the good things you do can earn favour with God. You can do it. Islam teaches that we are born pure and clean from sin. Sin has not corrupted our nature. It's not who we are, just something we may do. The goal of life is to stay clean. Some people do this well, like prophets or the martyrs. Others do not. We sin because God has made us weak and other people lead us astray. What we need is guidance so that we can do good deeds and earn others' favour. That's how a person saved in Islam. Let's have a look at some verses with this. Sometimes Muslims have said to me, well, Allah just forgives you. And so, you know, you don't need Jesus' death. Allah just forgives. Well, that's actually not the case. Look at verse uh, point A in your notes. It says, those who believe and do righteous deeds will have forgiveness and a great reward. Forgiveness in Islam is actually a reward in paradise. It's not something you have so much now. It's the future, and you've got to earn it. Allah has not done anything to save you in Islam. You've got to do something to save yourself. Now, the best things you can do to earn Allah's mercy are to do the religious practices of Islam. So there's the confession of faith, their fasting during Ramadan, the pilgrimage to Mecca, saying the five daily prayers or the giving of money to Islamic causes. Uh, look at point B in your notes. If you make public your almsgiving, that is excellent. But if you conceal it and give to the poor, that is better for you. It will remove some of your evil deeds for you. And so doing good deeds stores up good credit with God. Doing good deeds can remove bad deeds. But of course, if you do bad deeds, well, then they... Uh, will be counted to you. What's interesting, though, with Islam is that somebody else can do your good deeds for you. Muslims won't tell you this, but it's what it says. Look at point C. Narrated Ibn Abbas, this is Muhammad's cousin, a man came to the prophet, Muhammad, 
and said, O Allah's apostle, my mother died and she ought to have fasted one month, for she missed Ramadan. Shall I fast on her behalf? The prophet replied in the affirmative and said, Allah's debts have more right to be paid. That is, in Islam, someone else can do a good deed and it be credited to you. And actually, your bad deeds can be credited to someone else. The idea, though, is to store up as many good deeds as you can from whatever source. And then we see at point D what will happen at the end for most people. Not everyone, but for most. Point D, then those whose scales are heavy, they are successful. And those whose scales are light are those who, who lose their souls in hell abiding. So if you've done enough good deeds, that'll be heavy. And that's good. If not, you're going to go to hell. What's important, though, is not just doing the good deeds, but that you are sincere in what you do. And in fact, Islam will even say that if you intended to do something and you didn't do it, you still get credited because you did have the intention. However, Allah's mercy is that he will tip the scales in your favour if you don't have enough good deeds. Look at point E in your notes. Whoever brings a good deed will receive tenfold the like thereof, while whoever brings an ill deed will be awarded but the like thereof, and they will not be wronged. Now, the idea here is that if you bring a good deed, it'll be counted as tenfold. So this is how Allah will show his mercy to you. He will tip the scales in your favour if you've had good intentions and you didn't quite make it. And he'll make your good deeds heavier than they actually are. So if a Muslim says to you, Allah just forgives, it's actually not true. It's not how it works in Islam. But I hope you can see that there are two very different ways. I, I have not sought to misrepresent Islam at all in this. This is just the general picture you'll get from Islamic sources. But we have two very different ways, don't we? The first way is the the Christian way, and that is, we cannot save ourselves, God saves us through Jesus, or the Muslim way, that you can save yourself and you can do good things to earn Allah's mercy, and Allah hasn't done anything to save you, but if you show good intention, he most likely will. We've got two different ways. Now, how is it that Muslims understand the words of Jesus? Because Muslims are meant to accept Jesus as a prophet. And you may well have heard a Muslim say to you, we accept Jesus, we love Jesus, we believe in all the prophets. And Muslims very often are familiar with these words of Jesus in John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How is it that Muslim leaders accept these words of Jesus when they themselves have a different way of being saved? A different way of going to paradise. Well, what Muslim leaders say is that what Jesus says here is true, but it's true of every prophet at the time of that prophet. So at the time of Moses, this was true of Moses. He was the way. Uh, this is true, uh, you know, at the time of Jesus, it was true of Jesus. And now with the coming of Muhammad, it's true of Muhammad. Muhammad is the way. 
that, that sort of sounds fair. You can see how that might work. Well, it sounds fair until you think about it. It sounds fair until you think about it. Just come back with me to that first reading we had in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. You see, did Isaiah point people to himself? Did Isaiah say that he was the way? the truth and the life. No. When Isaiah spoke about the future, uh, Mark here is quoting the prophet Isaiah from 600 years before Jesus. And he's quoting Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah the prophet is saying, God is going to, God is going to send someone who will prepare the way for his coming. So Isaiah never said he was the way. He said, get ready for someone who's going to be preparing the way. Have a look at John the Baptist in verses 6 to 8. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Did John the Baptist point people to himself? Did John the Baptist say he was the way? No, he pointed people to Jesus. In fact, when you go back through the earlier prophets, what you'll find is they're always pointing people to God and to the salvation that God is going to bring. They never point people to themselves. And who they end up pointing you to is to the Messiah who will bring this salvation. This is where all the prophets of the Old Testament point us. None of them point us to themselves. They're all pointing us to Jesus. And so it's simply not true to say that Jesus' words here are true of every prophet at the time of the prophet. Every prophet at their time was pointing you forward to the coming of Jesus. Muhammad himself actually never even said he was the way, the truth and the life. He always pointed people to God as well. Muslim leaders do not read these, these, these verses in the Bible, but they impose an Islamic understanding on them as though they were verses from the Quran. But they're not. And uh, to our Muslim friends, we need to encourage them to read these verses in their own context. Now, I want to uh, finish up by putting forward the case as to why Christianity is true. Why Christianity is true. And I think as Christians, we need to be able to have a reasonable explanation for this when we talk to our Muslim friends. Why should your Muslim friend believe you? What should be the starting point for us talking to them and saying, our message of Jesus is true, and our message of how to be saved is true, and your message of how to be saved is not true? On what grounds 
Can we say that to a Muslim? That, that's what I want to look at now. Okay. The grounds we have, and that, that I encourage you to speak to your Muslim friend, is to talk about what is the Quran and what is the Bible. And you've got a diagram in your notes there, which spell this out more for you. You see, what is the Quran? The Quran is a collection of what Muhammad said in response to different situations in his life. There are no books of the Bible in the Quran. The Quran is just what Muhammad said. Muhammad does retell some stories from the Bible as illustrations for things that are happening in his life, but there are no books of the Bible in the Quran. It's just Muhammad. And so what Muslims believe about Jesus and the other prophets comes from listening to Muhammad, from listening to one man, not from reading the prophets. Okay. Islam is completely based on one man. So when Muslims say they believe in Jesus, what they mean is they believe everything Muhammad tells them about Jesus. They believe everything Muhammad tells them about David. They believe everything Muhammad tells them about Moses. They don't read the law of Moses. They don't read the gospel of Jesus. They don't read the Psalms of David. They just listen to Muhammad and what he says about them. In this way, Islam is identical to the Baha'i religion. So the Baha'i religion came many years after Islam and they believe in all the prophets too. They believe in Muhammad. But they only believe in what their prophet, Baha'i Allah, says about Muhammad. They only believe in what their prophet says about Jesus. They only believe in what their prophet says about Moses. You see, Islam and the Baha'i religions are both one person who tell, telling you what to believe about everybody else. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is very different to the Quran. The Bible is not one book, but it's a collection of many books from many prophets from different locations in different languages over about a 1500 year period. Have a look at that table in your notes. And you'll see that the, the ideas that Christians believe don't come from one man don't come from one prophet. What Christians believe isn't actually based on any one person. What we believe comes from all of the prophets. Now, as Christians, we can just take this for granted. But this is remarkable. This makes Christianity unique in the world's religions because we follow all of the prophets. We don't have any one person who's telling us what to believe about everybody else. We follow all of the prophets and those prophets lead us to Jesus. And so what Christians believe about the fatherhood and the son of God is not just actually a Christian idea. It's the idea of all of the prophets from Moses right through to Jesus. The idea that we're corrupted in our sin and unable to keep the law. Again, that's not a Christian idea. It's actually the idea of all of the prophets. 
The idea that we need a sacrifice of atonement to come into God's presence, that's not a Christian idea. It's the message of all of the prophets. All of what Christians believe is the, the message of all of the prophets as it comes to its fulfilment in Jesus. And it's for this reason that I want to say to you that I believe Christianity is true. Because we are the ones who follow all of the prophets. Different locations, different languages, different periods of time, one unified message. The unity of scripture is its testimony that it's from God. Different prophets, different languages, different times, one message pointing us to God. And Muhammad just simply does not agree with the unified voice of all the other prophets that were before him. This is why the Christian gospel message is true. To conclude, today we've considered Jesus, Islam and the gospel. We haven't tried to look at everything, but just one idea. How is a person saved in both religions? And then why we should accept the Christian position. And I hope that you now feel that you can make a decision in this area. If you're a Christian, then I want to encourage you to stick with all of the prophets of the Bible. Don't take them for granted that they're in your book. Be amazed that you've got all the prophets. Do not take them for granted. Be confident in, in them and stick with them and share with them with your Muslim friends and with everyone else. If you're not a Christian, then I hope you can see that what Christians believe is not just the message of one man. It's not just the Apostle Paul or Peter, but it's actually the message of all the prophets that God has raised up, coming to its fulfillment as they point us to Jesus. And this is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Hi, everyone. My name's Evie, and I'm studying visual arts and design in third year, and I'll be praying for us today, so please pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here this weekend to focus on your word and your will for our lives. I pray that everything we have learnt and shared together here at Onboard will influence, influence us in our walk with you. I also pray that it influences our interactions with people to proclaim Jesus Christ at university to present everyone mature in him. I name uh, and now pray for the coming weeks leading up to Easter mission. I pray that you will make us bold in our faith and that Easter will be a time where everyone stops to think about what Jesus sacrificed for us on the cross, that we might be saved. Thank you for your grace and your love, Jesus. I pray that many non-believers would also be interested and engaged in the activities that we run at uni over Easter mission and that your spirit will lead them to you and that many will be interested in coming to the talks and the free barbecue. I also pray for walk-ups and that your spirit will lead us in conversations and that our sharing with people will make them question what Chris Christianity is all about, planting a seed of faith within them. I also pray for team 
I pray that your hand will be on them, guiding and strengthening them as they start up their mission again this year. I pray that many will be impacted by the Bible teachings provided by our amazing Uni Bible Group staff. Bless them and equip them as many get involved in team this year, Lord. I pray that as we depart from here today, we have a safe trip home and that we use this trip to reflect on the amazing time we have spent together here on, at Onboard and with you, God. I thank you for being, bringing Sam here this weekend to share with us his ministry goals, engaging us with Islam to bring Jesus, the one and only truth, to the lives of Muslims and other non-believers. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us the opportunity to gain a room in your house, Lord, and that we know that the only way to that room is through you. Thank you for being our shepherd, Lord, leading us, your flock, back to you and our one true home. As Christians, we know sin is everywhere and we pray that you will lead us to a life shaped by you and not of the world. I pray that what we have learnt from Sam, we will put to use in our own lives and at our own university and that we as a group might impact the lives of people's, people with other religions to follow the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ our Lord. I also thank you for all those people who have contributed to Onboard in different ways and for bringing us here to honour you this weekend. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.